Today on Able What's Up with a very very special guest with us and you'll find out what he does later on. If you guys are ready for that, let's go. Guys, welcome Hello, back to another episode of Ebo What's Up. I am your host Nabil Jas. I'm Shafiq, and today we have a very special guest with us today. And hopefully, by the end of this podcast, you guys will be able to gain something from our guest today, because I think he's a very inspirational figure. And um, you know, let's not waste any more time. Let's just introduce him right away. Now, the guest we have with us here today is a teacher at a local secondary a local secondary school and he has been actively involved in youth empowerment events having guest speakers at various local mosques he is also a tutor under Mendaki and he has an IG page with over 5,000 followers featuring his own IG TV series which he calls the Youth Empowerment Series or YES and inside that YES series right, he has interviewed the likes of local actors such as Hisham Hamid local YouTubers such as UXM and even local rapper Sheikh Benafe. Now, guys, without further ado, may I present to you guys our guest for today, Mr. Zulhafiz Zainal. All right, a very good afternoon to all of you. Yeah. Hello, welcome Hello, to the podcast. Welcome, welcome. Thank you very much. Now, actually, right, before... Before we start, uh, what's that? Uh, asking him questions and you know, getting to know more about Mr. Zul. Let me just like tell you guys a bit on how I got to know of Mr. Zul. So it was it was a really interesting story, you know. So then I think a few months back, I was interviewed by a local radio station, a local Malay radio station. So I was in the interview and I was talking. Then after the interview, right, my mom asked me to go through the comments to find, to look for people, like, I don't know, who maybe, who, like, maybe, perhaps, like, you know, just find, like, maybe there's some opportunities there. She, she said something like that, like, so I was like, okay, like, why not? Let's just f- go through the comments. And then I came across Mr. Zul's comment. And I think he said something about along the lines of, like, he would like to get in touch with me. So I checked his Instagram, eh, I checked his Facebook profile, and then I, I went on to his Instagram profile and then I saw on his story that he was like, if anybody knows me, then um, give him like my details so that he can like try to contact me. But then I took the first step and just replied to his story. And then from then on, we just started to get to know each other and we are here today. <laughs> and it's been amazing. I think at that point in time, why I decided to have, um, wanted to speak to you was because I felt that for someone your age, you speak very good Malay, that's one. And I think uh, you're very fluent with very good ideas. So why not? You know, it's an opportunity that's not to be wasted for someone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much uh, for that. But I think everyone here, like even Shafiq here, is very good in Malay. So it's ah, just like, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Shafiq, got it. Shafiq got it A1 for O-level Malay. Wow. I got, I got A2. <laughs> if you, you listen kid. to what I have, 
Yeah, mine Sorry? is a V3. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm the lowest among all three of you. <laughs> but but oh, 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 of all three of us, you're, you're like the most impressive, like in terms of your like, whole <laughs> life. Uh, yeah. Like I, I I when when Abdul uh spoke to me about you, I was like, whoa! I was like impressed. Uh, looking through your Instagram page, I was like seeing the people that you interviewed, the mm-hmm. type of content you brought out. I mean, obviously, I was like a little inspired lah uh, that there was someone in the community that was like trying to empower the youths. Ah, thank you very much for that. Yeah, I think it was really interesting. I think when I first saw his Instagram, that was my exact same reaction. Like, wow. This is like not your ordinary teacher, you know. He does like <laughs> a lot more things than just teaching students in the school. Mm. I think it just nicely leads up to our first question: What is this YES series, and like why did you started it in the first place? Okay, so um, this YES series actually started back during the circuit breaker. So if you remember last year, what happened during the circuit breaker was that all of us were stuck at home. We couldn't go out mm-hmm. for basically yeah. anything at all except for necessities. So I saw it as a good opportunity to start off this YES series or Youth Empowerment Series because mm-hmm. knowing that everyone's going to be stuck at home and the only things they have are probably the TV, the social media, I felt that it's a good mm-hmm. way to empower people, you know? Usually we call them yeah. out, right? We go for events, we go for uh, activities, but all that's not allowed. So we know that pretty yeah. much Instagram is going to be where they are at. That was where this mm-hmm. whole idea of interviewing people came about. Yeah, I think that's really amazing because like during circuit breaker, right? A lot of people are doing random, random things, you know. Mm. People just had actually nothing to do, and people like what making dalgona coffee, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all, we all, we all remember that point of circuit breaker, and like it's interesting that Mister Zul decided to start his own series, mm-hmm. um, to like interview people, and is there what was there any inspiration behind it? Like, you know, have you saw someone do it or something? Okay, basically, uh, one interesting fact about myself is I actually wanted to become a radio DJ. Ah, yes, okay. All right. So, uh, I like the fact that I'm interviewing people, speaking to them. And growing up, I was very inspired by shows like, um, I don't know whether you all know MTV. Yeah, yeah. You know, last mm. time when we had the, um, the cable vision, MTV was a very popular series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, when they were interviewing all the stars, all the celebrities, and I saw that it's very inspiring to watch it at that point in time. So I decided, mm-hmm. why not do something very similar, but this time around on IG series, where knowing that everyone's going to be there, people can just tune in live, and they can ask mm-hmm. live questions. So that was how it all started. And it's been a great journey, I would say, since the very beginning. Ah, that's that's amazing. Like, I was so excited when he said he wanted to be a radio DJ, because that like, exa- that's exactly what I dream of right now. <laughs> ah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, and... Obviously, you have students, right? A lot of them. Mm. Then when you started doing it, right? Mm-hmm. How did they feel? Like, I for one, if my teacher did something like that, I uh-huh. would find it a bit weird. Like, a bit awkward like that. Uh-huh. But in the end, same time, like, amazed. Okay. Yeah. My students, okay, they had mixed reaction. I mean, some of them, um, they were quite interested to know what this series is about. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them were teasing me about it or so. Wow, it's a famous influencer, that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> but I think they have grown to know the person I am for many years now. So they know what kind of things that I do on social media. So it didn't come across as a surprise to them. But ah. I think what came as a surprise was the people who got onto the show because they expected it to be ah, yes. youth, general people. Mm-hmm. So some of the figures that got onto the show, they asked me, how do you even get this kind of person on board? You know? Exactly. Yeah. 
Why not you tell us how did you how you got on board? <laughs> All right. So um, I think what I did was that at that point in time, I I laid out my fact um, or rather the facts of this series very very carefully. I wanted to inspire youth, and I wanted to make sure that they were on the right path. And when it comes to not only things like um, not, not not talking about religion per se, but just the character. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I figured, why not have all these people in society who are already very successful and have them share their stories? Yeah, mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, like you, you read about people or you just watch yeah. about people. This time around, you bring them onto a series and ask them what you need to have. So it started yeah. off as something that is um, more towards career advancement. Ah. So that's how it started off. Like I had mm-hmm. um, an engineer on my show. Then after mm-hmm. that, I had like... Um, the YouTuber was the first part, the one about UXM, when they wanted yeah. to know about the media industry. I see. Yeah, but from there, I think after UXM and a couple of other people, they realized that, hey, this is a good platform. And when I pitched my show to a few other local people like YouTubers, celebrities, mm-hmm. surprisingly, they pitched onto the idea and they say, hey, it's something that I've wanted to do, but I haven't had the avenue as well. So why not? Let's uh-huh. just try. Yeah. I think that was it. So basically, you did all of this with the main focus of trying to like have as many representatives from different sectors of future careers so that youths can get inspired from? Yes, correct. That was how it all started from. So, for uh-huh. example, at that point in time, it was, I remember during the May-June period, my sec force mm-hmm. were very busy with the whole selection of poly, JC, going to um, yeah. different courses. So, that was when I decided, since I really have a, a repertoire of um, individuals, I would say, who are already in my list, why not surface these people? Mm, that's good, that's good. Yeah. And I think that if you, if you guys like, if you guys hop onto his um, IG, right, mm-hmm. and then you can see all the different uh, interviewees he has had on, or guests he has had on his IGTV series, I think you guys would be surprised also. Like, yeah. don't take our word for it, you, go, you, go, you guys can go check <laughs> it out later on, right? And <laughs> you guys will be surprised as much as us. Mm-hmm. And, who was your um, first so-called big name interviewee or guest? Like, in your opinion, like, who is the biggest? And how did you feel? Okay, if I remember correctly, the very first big star that I had on the show was actually Hadi Mirza. Ah. Yeah, so how Hadi Mirza came about was, I got to know Hadi Mirza uh, quite a while back. Um, just from youth activities as well. Uh, Back then, he was in Malaysia, Uh so I didn't know whether he was going to reply to me, but he knows me, he knows the person I am. So I decided to just give it a shot. And he -hmm. was very happy with the opportunity because he felt that he wanted an avenue to relay his stories to. Mm. Yeah, so Hadi Mirza, if I'm not wrong, was the very first person who came on board with the idea of empowering the youth rather than just telling your story to a mass audience. Ah, for those of you listening, right, since you have like people from variety of races and backgrounds, right, if you don't know who Hadi Mirza is, Hadi Mirza is basically a local singer slash actor, I think he acts a bit, and he has made his career not only in Singapore, but in Malaysia as well. I think recently he has won like first place Mm -hmm. for a local Malaysian Mm -hmm. singing competition, uh, Gagava Gaza, he's one of the biggest singing competitions in Malaysia it goes wild every year and for a Singaporean to win it right honestly I was quite proud myself <laughs> mm, and Hari Mirza was also if um, I don't know whether you are aware of it he was a Singapore Idol and the Asian Idol at the same time 
Ah, yeah, this was uh, he yes. made his mark many many years back in the English industry, mm-hmm. MediaCorp and all that lah. So slowly he ventured down into the Malay music industry, but he started off as the Singapore idol and the Asian idol. Hmm. So he's a really, uh, in a way, big influence in Singapore in terms of, um, in terms of the entertainment industry as a whole. Yes, correct. Now let's like. Skip aside. Let's put aside the YES series for a while, and let's get to know you as a person. Um, you did say that you wanted to become a radio DJ at the start, right? Mm. Um, where did that dream <laughs> came about, or like <laughs> that objective in life came about? And what happened, uh, which led you to become a teacher? Okay, so basically, um, I have always known that I like to speak to people, um, and I like mm-hmm. music in general. I think I discovered that when I was thirteen or fourteen. So I felt that mm-hmm. the best thing to do is to mesh these two up together to become a radio DJ. So mm-hmm. I think when I was 17, I I tried. I, I remember I went on to 987 and I tried something like what you tried, Nabil. Um, I had an hour oh. slot to myself, uh, where okay. I went co-hosting with this DJ called Shan Wee. I don't know whether you've heard of him before. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> He's um. I see, I see. Okay, he used to be from 987 FM, and then he moved on to, if I'm not wrong, 91.3, and he's still DJing now. But I think he should be there, lah. So um, that was with him, and I tried out DJing. I tried out how it was like, and I remember I even went down for interview to just try and land the job. But one of the okay. things, yeah, which was a bit difficult for me was having to speak to a mass audience. I see. Yeah, I'm quite okay. formal in nature. So if you ask mm. me to do things behind, you know, in the in the uh, container, it's easy for me. Mm. Yeah, but uh, the moment I have to go out there and be informal, I think that was the challenge which I faced, and I decided, okay, maybe this is not for me, like you know, the lifestyle is a little bit mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah. Because I think becoming a radio DJ is not only in the county, right? But it's also like outside and how you approach live audiences, right? Exactly. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And I think like uh, I can definitely um, understand what Mr. Zul is coming from. Uh, I myself has done a lot of like things on the stage as well, mm-hmm. and it's very different when you when you're behind the mic and when you're in front of the people, right? When you're behind the mic, you make jokes or something, right? If you don't get a laugh, right? But it's fine. Your co-host might laugh with you. You might laugh at yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And then you don't get the reaction of the audience. But to get a reaction out of a live audience, that's very difficult. And then if some if you if you cannot like get out of the formal self right, mm. it can become a, bit, a little bit boring or some sorts right, and then like you won't get to entertain the audience per se. And yeah, it's very difficult. Agree. So when did you started getting involved in like this? Eh, sorry, sorry. Let, let before that, mm. why a teacher? <laughs> okay, uh, I think a teacher is is something that is very close to my heart. I remember when I was younger. I like to set exam papers for my siblings and get them to do my exam papers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I remember um, whenever I was given opportunities to volunteer back then as a primary school or secondary school student, mm-hmm. the thing which I really enjoyed most was the reading buddy, uh, math coach, ah. math tutor, and I remember that that was the peak of my volunteering activity. Like I love sitting down and getting people to try understand certain things. So that was when okay. I think the whole idea of becoming a teacher came about to me. It struck as something which I think I could be doing for a long time, lah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, okay. when do you start getting involved in trying to empower the youth? Um. Okay. I think the first time I tried, 
it was maybe in 2011, 2012. Okay, that was oh. about a good 10 years ago. So what happened oh, very was, long already. Yeah, it's been, it's been about 10 years, yes. But I remember okay. how it all started because I was doing relief teaching and I was in a school. It was actually Monfort Secondary School at that point in time. I was doing mm-hmm. relief teaching for Malay language. And at that point in time, Twitter was the in yeah. thing. Ah, yeah, okay. Twitter just uh, started getting popular. People were just hopping on board and I was someone who is very skeptical of it. I didn't want to get on board. Why? Yeah, because I am not much of a social media person. As in, social media only came about much, much later. Uh, 2012, 2013. Last time, we don't really have all these things. We had Friendster, mm. we had yeah, Facebook, Friendster. but it was not as popular as the social media that you see now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Friendster's <laughs> a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. Mm. Can you tell us about I have Friendster. Friendster? I want to know. <laughs> okay. Friendster. Really? Okay, I had a Friendster. Okay. So wow. Friendster. Uh, when was uh, that? That Shabin? was like 2010-ish. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So Friendster is something like um, Facebook. Okay, but what was okay. interesting about Friendster is that you find your friends, you add them onto your Friendster page and... People uh-huh. who wants to get to know you, right? They can actually read through these things called testimonials. Ah, okay. Okay, okay so like what's a job like that? Uh, something like that, yes. So what's a testimonial <laughs> is, for example, if I say, Nabil, I want you to come on board my friendster and write about me. Ah, Yeah, so okay. you can write, oh, Mr. Zul is a friendly person. I knew him from, uh, let's say, from where. Uh, one quality mm-hmm. he has in him is he is responsible, for example. So it's pretty much describing the person, like what you usually do on your Instagram now. You know, describe me. Mm, yeah. Oh. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> ah, but the thing is, it's all documented. So like at that point in time with Friendster, I remember I had over 350 testimonials whereby people can just go onto my page mm. and read about me and then they will decide whether or not they want to be my friend you know that kind of thing wow. oh, I didn't. Hey, Shafiq, how many testimonials I was so young right? <laughs> so basically all the people my friends still was like family yeah uh, oh. correct correct so friendster is just this thing where people write good things about you or uh, bad things yes and you can also add friends like what you do on Facebook lah, pretty much I see. Yeah, okay, correct. that's really an interesting concept. Mm. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's then, very, very long ago. Correct. And then came about Facebook. So I think with Facebook and all that, then that was the death of Friendster lah, because people started shifting over to mm-hmm. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And do you in any way use those platforms to like, you know, empower the youth? Uh, no, I didn't use Friendster Early. to empower the youth. Uh, in fact, okay. not even Facebook. My first attempt was uh-huh. really with Twitter. So back in Monfort, I remember it was my students that challenged me. They, they told me to create a Twitter account. And then after okay. that, during my lesson, I remember that they were tweeting me on nonsensical stuff, random stuff. <laughs> and, yeah. So they tweet you during lesson. They were tweeting me during lesson and they would say, Acher, after that, go read what I tweeted to you. So of course, at that point in time, I was like, what's this? What's a mention? Uh, what's a DM? You know, I don't know these kind of things. But along the way, uh-huh. I think when it started gaining popularity... Then I decided, hey, this could actually be a good way to impact the youth because I realized that the youth were getting on board this whole Twitter thing. Mm. So, as it, ah, and in a way, like, how was uh, the... You go ahead, you go ahead. Uh-huh, yeah, sorry, Shafiq, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, uh-huh. 
So how was the evolve? How did it evolve to where it is right now from Twitter? Okay, so Twitter last time, if I remember correctly, you can only um, tweet with about 140 characters or so. So mm-hmm. that's it. It's not even words. Uh, it's characters. So it's very very short tweets, like something like what you would do on Facebook. You know how are you uh, feeling yeah. on Facebook? Yeah. The the that particular tab. So you can only type like, oh, I had a good day today. I just finished uh, my breakfast, for example. It started off mm-hmm. as a status update for people who wants yeah. to know what people are doing oh, in the no. times. Okay. Yeah. So that's how it started a while back, like ten years ago. But slowly it evolved to a place whereby people wanted to share opinions. At that point mm, in time, yes. opinions regarding anything like you name it, like uh, basically general elections. You know, youth wanted to have a say, uh-huh. or maybe people want to talk about a certain TV series that just went on that is popular. They want to talk about a favorite music. So that's where I realized that youths can be quite expressive when it comes to the social media, especially in Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I find I find all of this really interesting because I didn't I didn't have social media myself until I was in sec two, sec three, if I'm not wrong. Ah, I uh, see, I see. So I got into the game a a bit later, a bit late. So mm-hmm. all these kind of like early years of Twitter, I, I wasn't even in the early years of Instagram, you know. Understand. So you, yeah. So these kind of things are interesting to me to see how it evolved from perhaps like status update platform to an yes. opinion sharing platform. Exactly. So I assume you only started to like express like your opinions when um was that when it evolved or even during the small the 140 character days mm-hmm. you started to say a few things here and there also. I think um when it even when it was the 140 characters what I did was I just tried to find Um, I realized it was a good way to empower the youth, so I used the 140 characters very, very, um, I would say, in a stingy manner, like you know, I make sure whatever that I needed to say was there, and I'll post it. So some things are related to values, some things are related to things that I needed to get across, but that's it, because you cannot, um, in in the for the lack of a better word, spam like what you're doing now. Yeah. Yeah, now on Twitter you can add yeah, like yeah. five tweets or six tweets. You can start a thread. Ah, But last time, the thread. Yeah, because it will be seen as uh, spamming, and people will not be able to understand your flow of thoughts. It's just mm-hmm. everywhere at that point in time. Yeah. So, so you need to like put quotes or something, lah. Ah yes, I'll just put quotes uh-huh. or I'll just put like I think blah 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 blah. But even without the opportunity to explain myself further, like what I do now. Because mm-hmm. if you feel that you want to engage yeah, me, yeah, then yeah. you will leave me a private message. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Oh, so that was the mindset of the users back then. Yes, correct. Ah, so it's not like when you type something, people can comment. No such thing like that. People can comment. It's just a simple comment. But if let's say I'm talking about let's say my favorite music lah, for example, and you wish to engage me because you want to know more about what I feel about a certain music video that just came out or something. The 140 uh-huh. characters is not enough, so usually they will send me a private uh, DM, uh, a display message, direct message. Sorry. Yeah. Then from there they will ask me in a longer form. You know, what do you feel? Can you explain more about what you say? But everything was done behind closed doors, not really in public like I what see. you do now. Uh, Shafiq, did you have the same experience as I wasn't. Or? I mean, I started my Twitter account like quite okay. early on, but. Obviously, there wasn't much to go off of. It's basically just like a way for you to like get to know the stuff that's like going around in the world, like especially in the US, like what was happening, what like the trending stuff. 
Yeah, it was pretty but brief. But very briefly lah. Mm. I see. Then, from Twitter, how did you end up on Instagram, Mr. Zul? Okay. So, that was Twitter. And then, uh-huh. um, I, f- I forgot when exactly I was on Instagram, but I remember it came together lah, somewhere nearby. Because uh, Twitter was for words. Instagram at that point in time was almost purely for photos. That's it. Ah, yeah, so you can't okay. do the things that you're doing now. There are no IG stories. The comment function was very limited. It's bas- me basically trying to sum up my day in terms of pictures. I see. Yeah. So, so I even wanted... back then... Ah. Oh, sorry, sorry. You want to continue first? Okay. So basically, yeah. it's basically just to sum up whatever that you want to say to your friends or you just want to mm-hmm. update to your friends. Let's say today I went to the zoo and I want to show my friends that I went to the zoo. So I'll just okay. update a picture of me being at the zoo. That's it. So they know that oh, uh, Zoo went to the zoo today. Uh, he had a free day, for example. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just I merely see. to keep up with your friends. So it's not as extensive as it is, as it is now. Yes, correct. So even even back then, you are like so-called the teacher who's in trend. Because I assume not a lot of people, like, especially teachers, use these kind of platforms to engage their students back then, right? Or am I wrong? Uh, okay, I think back then I was pretty, cause pretty much a youth myself. I like this kind of things. So mm. the, the idea of empowering the youth was there, but I never intended for it to be used for that. At that point in time, it's just okay. La. I want to keep in touch with my students. I was a relief teacher then, and I, I found it quite a waste that the students that I have thought I don't know where they are now in life, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I use Twitter, I use Instagram just to add them up if they are okay with it. And usually, especially my boys, like, you know, they'll be like, uh, Chawan, yeah. keep in touch. So what they do is, they will just keep in touch with me from there. It started off that way. Ah, yeah. so that's how, even until now, you have very, very strong bonds with some of your past students, perhaps, you know, five years ago. Yes, correct. I see. Well, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's, now, let's talk about your life as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And like, during the pandemic itself. Mm-hmm. So you've you've already used like social media since the early days of it, and last year I think during the pandemic, um, social media is used more than ever. Everybody had to you know use it to even do their jobs. Yeah, How did correct. you, as a teacher, try to integrate it you know, with the knowledge and the experience you had mm-hmm. with social media? Um, okay, this is a very interesting question because to be honest, I never ever thought the day would come where we would have to really depend on technology to teach purely. Okay, I know that um, the role of a teacher is important, but I've always mm-hmm. felt that the teacher's role is highly in the classroom. Ah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we do learn about technology at that point in time. Uh, we use um, certain platforms to engage the students, but it's more of something which you use to engage them rather than teach. Mm-hmm. Because you know that the teacher is physically in the classroom, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the circuit breaker came at a time which surprised, if not all, many of us, majority of yeah, us in this. Yeah. And there we, I remember, I think April, early April, when they mentioned that we are going to circuit breaker and you must still continue your teaching. All of us are scrambling. I remember the WhatsApp groups that I had, all the teaching WhatsApp group that I had, all of us were scrambling for platforms. Um, how do I teach using Zoom? At that point in time, Zoom wasn't popular. I don't yeah. know how to um, mark 
my exam papers or my worksheets. You know, we depend on the red pen. Yeah, so yeah. I was wondering, how do you go about doing it? Is it the student give you photo, then after that you tick, 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 and then you give back? <laughs> yeah, so many, many concerns, many queries came about. And I think from then on, one year on, I think we, we learned from it. Lah. It's something we slowly grew to uh, So basically, like last year, like, mm-hmm. like you said, during COVID, yeah. it was a pretty tough time for everyone. Like like for me and Nabil, we had HBL. Like 24-7. Okay. I mean, everyone had HBL like 24-7. So it's like mm. the question is, as a teacher, how do you mm. ensure that your students stay like focused, mm-hmm. like motivated to keep working at it? Yeah, because uh, honestly, like if I were to add on a bit, I think most of us can relate how during the pandemic itself, like, all of us like like very lazy to do things. Mm. Like as students, like I would rather just like. After finish HBL, yeah. I off the cam, uh, off the laptop. Then I try, I want to go to sleep and not even do it my homework. You know, <laughs> so it's that kind of mentality. This Shafiq can relate also. Understand, understand. Okay, uh, I remember my first ever HBL assignment. Um, it was um an assignment whereby I remember I took a video, a YouTube video of PM Lee announcing the circuit breaker. Uh-huh. Then after that, I just got my kids to write down their comments on what they felt. Um, what were their emotions? Uh, what were some of their concerns? And that was my first lesson, first ever lesson. So okay. I remember the first thing I had to do was to open up an, a word document, and I had to type down all my lessons. From um, back then, circuit breaker was very long, right? It was over mm-hmm. two months. So yeah. I had to check my schedule. How many times am I going to talk to this class? Or how many times am I going to see this class? And from there, mm-hmm. I had to make sure that all my lessons flow. Ah, yeah, okay. I cannot be doing random activities that don't flow. So, mm-hmm. if for for example, I'm teaching idioms like Puri Bahasa. Okay, I'm teaching idioms in this particular lesson. Okay. The next lesson cannot be something completely different, and I am not in class to help the kids because then it will be very confusing for them. I see. Yeah. So the flow was very important. The planning was very important, and I think uh, we slowly learned to get adapted to it. So I checked with what ways my kids could manage. Mm-hmm. Like I made sure that my lesson in itself, if I have to see them for one hour, one and a half hours, mm-hmm. the homework is in the lesson and they will complete the homework there and then. Ah, so you don't yeah. give like external homework? Yes, it's different from in-class because in-class I can give you a worksheet and get you to do, right? But yeah. it's very difficult to do that during HBL because like what you mentioned, after mm-hmm. HBL, all you want to do is just sleep and rest. It's a legit form of tiredness that we have never experienced before. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I plan my lessons accordingly. I teach for maybe 15 to 20 minutes. We do a mm-hmm. simple activity. I give them a test or I give them a worksheet. And over Google Classroom, uh, can complete it lah and submit it to me before the lesson ends. Ah, and you'll yes. be there to like watch them do it or do you like leave the class? Uh, like, okay, I will be there to make sure that um, I use WhatsApp as my medium of communication and Google Classroom also. So why yeah. I like these mediums is because it's live. Like for Google Classroom, if you don't, um, if you haven't used it before, you can see and track yeah. whether the students have already submitted your homework. Ah yes. Yeah. So yeah. I will tell my students, okay, um, I'm going to give you until let's say 10:30 a.m. to do this. Mm-hmm. I want to see all my homework submitted by 10:30. Ah. Uh, so I will relay this to them, and then by hook or crook, like, you know, if they never finish, submit first. I will take a look at your work. We follow up the next time around. I see you, and that's where I plan and adapt accordingly to my lessons. Okay, 
talking about flow, right? Mm-hmm. Is it different from like physical classes, where like the flow can be like a bit, um, not as smooth, when as compared to like Zoom lessons? Okay, in class, I think it's a lot easier to control because the students are right in front of you. So mm-hmm. if I have a student who doesn't understand me, for example, whatever that I thought, or if a student is blur, really don't know what to do, I think I can tackle the lesson there and then. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then I can also ask questions, or before the lesson ends, I just check on them to see that they understood whatever I have thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a tad difficult to do it over Zoom. To a tad difficult to do it over Google Classroom, for example. I can teach huh? the lesson, but how much of what I thought is understood by the students? I will only know after the worksheet is done. True, true. Yeah, so that's the difficult part because I can ask you over Zoom. Do you understand? Some students will not um, mute, will mute the mics. You know that kind of thing. I will assume that they understand. But when I get back the quality of work, that is when I check, and that is where I have to adapt, lah. If they understand, good, I can move on. But if they don't understand, I have to figure out what went wrong. How do I address it in the next lesson? I see. Uh, okay. Yeah, so in terms of flow, I guess Zoom is a little bit more difficult, but it's getting better now lah with whatever that mm. knowledge that we have now. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, it's very interesting to to see like what goes on as a teacher in the background because I think we as students, I think most of you guys listening are definitely students, right? So like as students, you definitely like only see the front of it where the teachers just come onto Zoom and then sometimes you don't want to on your camera, you don't want to mute, and you think everything is fine, I can handle it myself. But I think the teachers at the back of the screens are like panicking, you know, like, oh my God, do they understand? Do they do these kind of things? Mm-hmm. And like, I think it's good for us to also like, in a way, understand what goes on in the minds of a teacher mm-hmm. when they're doing these kind of things. So mm-hmm. at least we can have a bit more sympathy <laughs> for the teachers <laughs> who are doing online classes. Since I think some of us got back to HBL, right? Like, uh, I know for JT, we HBL. went back for HBL just before our June holidays for ITE. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, so like, it's really, yeah, it might be tough for us and I think it's also as tough or you know, even tougher <laughs> for the teachers at the back because mm. they have to set up all their different like, uh, what do you call that, assignments differently as to how they would do it during class. Mm. Now, talking about how class assignments are, right, I follow Mr. Zul on his Instagram and his Instagram stories, right, always show like, really, really interesting assignments that he does with the students. Like, what I mean by interesting is that he sometimes uses, like, music videos to teach. Sometimes he shows, like, some short drama clips and, like, he p- asks people to finish up lyrics of a music or of a song or something. Those kind of things. So, where do you get all these ideas of trying to, like, in a way, engage the students in these unique ways that we, we don't see often? Mm. Okay, I think as an educator, I have to come to realize that all my students are different. And it's very different from how I was taught last time. Okay, I don't know whether okay. all of you, both of you were from the era of the whiteboards. Uh, I mean, the whiteboards are there. Uh, I came from the era of not even the whiteboard. It, uh, the early stages were actually the chalkboard. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened is, um, we don't have all these things in our lessons. Mm-hmm. Even group work, it's very, very rare. It's pretty much individual. And mm-hmm. everything is pen and paper. Okay. Yeah. So I remember for my Malay lessons in P primary school, what I had to do was um, the teacher would just come in, the teacher will write the exam questions on the board, 
and I have to okay. copy down into my full scat paper. That was pretty much my every lesson. Oh, like that. Yeah. Okay. So if today is Imbohan, okay, I I will give you 10 Imbohan questions. You do uh, write a blank for the answer. The teachers don't even photocopy for you. You write and you submit. Then tomorrow we do peribahasa. The next day we do um, kefahaman, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it was pretty much like that all the way. But okay. if you look at the generation of students now, I don't think it is uh, viable yeah. that we teach in that manner. It's very difficult. Hmm, definitely. Yeah. Yes, you need activities. Um, we need uh, all our students have differing needs or different abilities. So I take note of that. Some of my students mm-hmm. are artistic. Some of my students are musical. Some of my students are more uh, visual. Some of them are more auditory. So I'll make sure that my lessons um, try to incorporate as many of these over a range of the term line. No, I wouldn't say uh-huh. music all the way, but I make sure that it's well. Um, balance when I teach my lessons. How, how was your students' reception to all this? I would, were they like engaged or do they find it like strange or what do they feel about it? Interesting question, I would say, because different batches of students have different reactions. So uh-huh. um, I remember my very first batch. Okay, uh, let's just talk about secondary school. I came from a primary okay. school background. I taught in a primary school for a while, but after that, I moved on to do secondary school. So I remember my first Malay language uh, secondary school class as a teacher. They were very into music, very, very into all the Jiwang songs of the 80s, 70s. <laughs> yeah, they love such songs. Students, uh, my secondary ones at that point in time. Oh, secondary one listened to Jiwang songs. Uh? Yes, I was very surprised. So I, I did a bit of a dipstick. I tried songs okay. like um, Isabella, you know. Wee. They can really sing. And I know that that is wow. where they like the songs. Wow. Yeah, so that was when I decided to incorporate these things into my lessons. Uh, yep. But yeah. however, not all the time it works. Like I had a batch of students where they are completely not musical. They are more artistic. <laughs> they don't like okay. the songs. They don't like the dramas. They like to express via drawing. Ah. Yeah, so I can but teach the same level. Of all these traits. Sorry, sorry? How did you get to know of all these different traits? Whether they're musical or artistic, like... How did you come to like recognize this pattern? Okay, so at the start of my teaching year, what I'll do is I'll get them to fit in a survey for first. I'll ask okay. them what they like to do, uh, what are their likes and dislikes. And from there, I will oh. use that form, that survey form that they do to incorporate into my lessons. I see. Yeah, okay. If I have a student that likes cats, for example, okay, lah, then my PowerPoint slides can be about uh, a cat theme. Ah, uh, okay. My students like K-pop, like at the point in time, Blackpink was very popular, BTS was very popular. So I brought in elements of K-pop into my exam papers even. I see. Yeah, like the kefahaman, you know, the one where you are supposed to show uh, posters. So I I created a BTS poster, but the poster in itself just explains basically um, BTS and youth. I will bring in the element of youth ah. to make it relatable to them. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really important part, right? Mm-hmm. To really get to understand the students beforehand before you start teaching or setting up your lessons. Yes, correct. It's very different from last time. Because last time, if you remember Malay lessons, it's pretty much ingrained <laughs> that you have to talk about culture. You must talk about the keris. You must talk about the baju kuro, you know? But uh, <laughs> it might not exactly sit well with today's batch of students. So not that I'm saying it cannot be included. In fact, I think it should be included. But there should be a fine balance of that as well as relatability to these people so that 
they find the lesson interesting. Yeah. If not, you can get stagnant if you're like learning the same thing like over and over again. Yeah. It can get quite boring also, right? Correct. Did you feel that as a student and that's why you felt the need to change this the way teachers teach? I would think so because I think as a student, the, the idea of teenagers, youths, it was very minimal. I remember my Malay lessons were good. The teachers were good. But the focus mm-hmm. of the lessons are pretty much culture. We talk about mm-hmm. silat. We talk about Tarian Melayu, the dancers. Uh, yeah. While it did help me a lot with understanding my culture, there are just some of us who were shut down because if we are not interested in it, then we're just not interested. True, true. Yeah. So that's where I think in this current time and age, you need to bring in the element of relatability. Like I tell my students, Malay language, the language Malay is a medium. But you mm-hmm. have to make sure... Sh- what I talk about can be things like racism. Can, I can talk about, um, uh, let's say, crime. It's related to you. That's why you have to pay attention. Uh, that's very true. I think that's very true. I, mm. I, I think I can like, relate to what you said. Like, I remember in primary school, like the lessons were really meh. Because like what you said, it was still about this kind of culture mm. where even the textbooks show like... Um, even the characters in the textbook were like wearing baju kurung and all were like it wasn't really in a way relatable to us mm, yeah correct, correct. it felt like it was uh, Malay was just a platform for you to talk about your own race and then you can use Malay for nothing else and I think when you bring in other elements of so-called current issues in, mm. into the Malay platform mm. I think that's when people start realising the importance of Malay as well yeah and I think like me and Shafiq understands this because I think our secondary school teacher did a really good job in that also lah. Because mm. I remember our our, yeah, our right. Maratang teacher, she won't really use the lessons to teach from the textbook. She really does even use the textbook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then she would just like open up topics, right? For us to like discuss I mean, in Malay. When, when, when she does which that, made the like, lesson we really Obviously, we, we were interested Correct. in this kind of stuff. But that, I could see that it was pretty difficult for her to like engage like some other students who may not be interested in mm. the language or like the culture. As much as we do. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Correct. I think that was a problem which I faced also at the beginning. And that was something which inspired me to to tackle this group of students, you know, who just don't want to learn Malay or they see it as not cool or whatever it is. Mm, Along the way, like it gets better with time. I like I think we've like me and Shafiq like talked about this in our past podcast also like our past Malay podcast how the Malay people like don't some some of them don't 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 find interest in their language or their culture at all. Mm-hmm. You talk about being able or trying to tackle them, right? Mm-hmm. What are some steps do you do or what can we as the communi- the Malay community do to help try to engage these people into their own race, their culture, etc. Okay, I think uh, one of the things which I try my best to help these youths with when it comes to their race and culture is to help them understand first um, what they are part of. So let's say if I'm, I identify as a Malay, I'm part of the Malay community, what does that exactly mean? That one must be very important to them. Okay, it is just beyond the language, it is beyond your culture. I think um, you need to understand that bit first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for those of them who don't like it or they say, oh, I don't use it or what, I will try to understand the reasons why they don't feel that way. Like I have students who say, um, oh, I don't like it because I cannot speak it or it's not useful in my life. 
So when they say that, I know, okay, their problem is the idea of it being functional. I right? see, yes, yeah. yes. But there is another group who sees a second language um, as something which is a bit backward. I prefer speaking English because it yeah. makes me part of yeah. um, a better group of people as compared to when I speak Malay. It's like lower grade, lah, you know? That triggers me a bit. <laughs> ah, but there are people who feel that way because I have students who I told see. me, yeah, my, some of my students are very upfront. My former students who tell me at that point in time, they will say, doesn't it make you feel like a second grade um, citizen for using Ooh. the language? So wow. I think so. <laughs> yeah, but it's upbringing, you see. You don't know what yeah. happens in their homes and all that. So I think my role as the teacher is really to educate them that um, that's what maybe you were taught, or that's what you grew to think, but it's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you always grew up with the Malay language? Like you're now a Malay teacher also, right? <laughs> like, was that was that always your intention to like be a Malay teacher? <laughs> I will share this with my students, and I will surprise them because I have never yeah, intended yeah, yeah. to be a Malay teacher. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Know, the thing is, like a lot of Malay teachers say that you know. Uh, okay. <laughs> but but it's I think a... even our own teacher said that like ah. the really tend to be like a Malay teacher. I think what, she, she wanted to be a science teacher or something, right? Something like that. I wanted to be an English teacher. Yeah. Ah, English teacher. Yes, I like language. So I remember at that point in time, um, I loved English language a lot in secondary school. Mm-hmm. I found that the things I learned in the lesson was interesting. And at that point in time, I remember we had this thing called news in class. Um, ah. News in class was actually um, a collaboration with Channel News Asia. It was with Cheryl Fox, if you know who she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, at that point in time, they were trying to bring news to media. So instead of reading news, you watch news. And ah, uh, okay. at that point in time, every week we'll have these lessons whereby we have to watch that 20-minute clip whereby mm-hmm. it's uh, news which are happening that are related mm-hmm. to youths and she will talk about it in her in her episode. Lah. I see. Yeah, okay. so I found that relatable and I liked it. And I remember when I did my comprehension, uh, composition, I was more expressive as a writer of English language as compared to Malay language. Ah, okay. Uh, so, yeah, my Malay language grades, I wouldn't say it was bad, but it was okay lah. Mm. Yeah. I think and how did that transition came to? Like, immediately jump to Malay language teacher? It happened because when I went for my job interview, I, I stated my interest to teach uh, in the English language, but I think at that point in time, due to quota, due to certain reasons, I couldn't get it. Okay. Yeah. And they get you to Malay language. Yeah, so the random question actually popped up during my interview where they took a look at my grades. They say, I know you want to teach English. Um, at that point in time, I wanted to teach geography as well because I am a okay. huge fan of uh, this whole idea of the earth and whatever you learn about it. Okay. Yeah. So I tried that and they say, cannot. So they looked, <laughs> my, they looked at my profile and then they mentioned, hey, look, you're Malay, you got a B3. Uh, okay, not A1, A2, you got a B3, but you are a higher Malay student as well. And you also got a B3, which means that ah. um, it's quite good. Lah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, true, true. So during the interview... It's very difficult to get B3 for high Malay, as a high Malay student myself. I've never uh-huh. reached B3 before. I see. <laughs> yeah, so I remember yeah. during that point in time, they just completely turned the tables on me and said, the next few questions we're going to ask you during the interview, you have to answer it in Malay. Wow. 
Yeah, it caught me by surprise, but I tried lah. So my huh? words were not. I wasn't very fluent. I can speak, but it's stringed. That means I have to think about what I want to say. It will take a mm. bit of lag time. Yeah. Yeah. So they told me, you know what? Um, you can speak rather well, and I think mm. with due time, you can be a good Malay teacher. So in the end, they offered me Malay instead of English. Ah, why didn't you end up becoming a geography teacher? Like, what was the criteria that you didn't meet? Uh, also, same thing. It's not that I didn't meet the criteria. I met the criteria, but perhaps in terms of quota or oh, whatever it is, at that point okay, in time, okay. they really needed Malay teachers. Did you feel a bit like disappointed, or were you like happy? Mm. What was your feeling? Actually, I am not too sure because I was skeptical. I remember I went home. I spoke to my parents, and I said, "You know, if I sign this contract, I'm pretty much stuck to my job as Malay teacher, right?" And then I mm. was afraid. Not because of the language, I was just afraid that I would lose interest in it, and I would let it go. Okay. Yeah. So that was one of the things I considered, but I think upon consultation with my teachers and I, my stints with Monfort Secondary at that point in time really did help me because um, I remember very clearly there were only two Malay teachers, me and another Malay teacher, who okay. helped. We helped the department for three months. Ah, the Malay department. Yes, there were only two people, including me, who was a reading teacher at that point in time. So oh, wow. my experience there really helped me grow a lot, and I feel that that was one of the deciding factors which gave me the affirmation I needed that I think <laughs> I can do it in the long run. I see. Mm. Well, let's take a pause right here for a moment. We have reached the fifteen-minute mark. Uh, guys, we'll take a short break and then we will come back right after this for part two of the podcast with our guest, Mr. Zul. So don't go anywhere. What are you listening to? Yo, what's up? Yes, sir.